All right, welcome back to another episode of Retro Gear Solid, the retro gaming podcast. I'm your host, Hampton, as always, along with my co-host again, Jared. Hey. And today we're going to be doing a a little bit of a lighter episode than usual. We're probably going to do these once in a while um, in between larger games that we're trying to do. I'll hold off on spoiling what our next big game is going to be, but... Sometimes with some of the larger games, you need a little extra time <laughs> to get them finished rather than just trying to plow through a game in a week. So uh, uh, I guess just to start it out, how, how's your week been, Jared? Um, I guess I could tell you what like yesterday was like for me. Sure. So I was like up at like three in the morning. I had like this nasty like tooth pain or like gum pain or whatever. So I had to, like, run to a Walgreens and get, like, ibuprofen. Like, I literally couldn't sleep because of it. Well, that's not good, man. I think you need to see a fucking dentist. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it's that bad that you need to take ibuprofen. Yeah, it, like, it's, like, hard to chew. God damn, dude. Well, I mean, I, that is interesting, but now I'm concerned for, for your health. <sighs> think you need to get in yeah i think you need to get into a to a dentist man what the hell you know it's only gonna get worse yeah i'm gonna go soon i guess i don't know when though <laughs> too bad it's expensive right god damn it yeah yeah it's uh, that the ultimate deterrent not not the fact that you don't want to go to the dentist but the fact that you're worried about what the bill's gonna be <laughs> you hate to see it Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I guess for me, my week was a little boring. I guess we didn't do a whole lot. Um, watching like 90 Day Fiance, I started playing Final Fantasy Did Tactics. Did you see that one episode? Wait, what do you mean? It's like the episode they always meme about, the guy with the mayonnaise. Oh, well, of course. Okay, we're like totally caught up. We actually kind of binged 90 Day Fiance. Um. Yeah, we're like totally caught up. That guy's long gone by now. We're we're on a new season, but yes, I do know Big Ed. <laughs> Big Ed. But yeah, I started playing. That's uh, the only thing I know about that show. Yeah, I, I don't know why he's such a. I mean, he is a good meme. <laughs> dude's, dude's freaking interesting. I mean, it's a funny show to be honest. Like, I don't. It sounds girly, but the show really is like. Yeah, kind yeah. of funny. Like all you do is watch it and just watch people be like Themselves. stupid and ridiculous. Yeah, and it's like that's where the entertainment comes in. You just wa- watch it for these big fights, <laughs> like these couples are just fighting about like some of the stupidest shit. You, you're really just like all it is is you sit with whoever you're watching it with and you just point and laugh. <laughs> so I mean, it's uh, so we we've been watching that. Uh. And like I was saying, I was I did start playing Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, as well, and I've really been enjoying that game. I'm getting a little obsessed with it, but um, I just got stuck yesterday, so that's a bit of a bummer. I was like, I think I got like halfway through that game, and I think that happened to me as well. I got like stuck halfway through, and then I like never bothered finishing it. Yeah, I have been looking up like ways to not cheese the game but like there's ways to gain 
uh, like JP faster. Yeah, I think that's kind of my problem. Is like I have a lot of. Yet. What was that? You're not grinding. Yeah, well, I did, but I didn't. I think I grinded it like the wrong way. You kind of gotta like have a plan, and I was just like grinding just to level up my characters to get some of the new jobs. But now that they have the new jobs, I like went into a harder battle, and they didn't have a whole lot of stuff learned. So now I have to grind to get them to learn good moves in their new jobs too. So, yeah, kind of like shot myself in the foot, but that's the only thing about JRPGs, man, is like the grinding's rough. I, I think that's why I'm not playing this one on an emulator. I still have, or I just recently rebought the disc and I've been playing it on my PS3 because the uh, HDMI output looks a little bit nicer and, you know, it's a more natural way to play the game. But like, that is the one thing about emulators that are really nice is being able to like speed up time. Yeah, yeah. So that you can like grind just a little bit quicker, cause man, PS One games run freaking slow as dirt sometimes, dude. Especially most of the final tactics isn't too bad, because you kind of just like something in the options where you can speed up the process as well. And there's a couple like things game. you can edit, like you can take out, you can turn off like anim animations for like oh yeah, uh, certain moves and stuff like that. So. It's kind of like in Pokemon, you can save a little bit of time, but, you know, it's still like a turn-based game, so they're, they're like... Yeah. Gotta wait your turn, bitch. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not too bad. You basically kind of, like, make it so that there's, like, one enemy left, and then you spam, like, an ability that costs no mana that uh, gives you experience and JP every time it's casted. So you basically just corner the one character that's still alive... Um, and you just keep spamming, spamming the ability like over and over and over again until you have, you know, until you're fucking ready to fall asleep or you have enough JP or whatever it is. And then you're like done. So it's kind of a boring way, obviously to grind, but like yeah, grinding is going to be boring no matter what. I'd rather make it faster. Um. That's why I never finished the game. I never like grinded it either. I just like, not, played through it and then it's it got really stuck. Not as bad as like other Final Fantasies. If I'm gonna be honest, like because there's setups that you can do to like grind the JP and XP a lot faster and a lot easier. And there's also like an autoplay mode. So there's like another setup that isn't related to the one I just talked about that's literally autoplay where you set all your characters up. And then you can let it auto run and every time they attack they will gain XP and JP and basically it'll run for like five hours or six hours or something. And after about like six hours the en the en yeah, after about six hours the enemies will finally die and you'll just have like an ass load of an ass load of points. So there's like an automated way too, but you gotta be kind of further into the game. You gotta be a lot higher of a level too to pull it off. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been playing any games really. Well, that's not good this to hear. week. You got to catch up then for next week. Otherwise, we're gonna be in trouble, huh? <laughs> well, I'm like halfway through the game. Like I had an old save file, so I should be fine. Yeah, I suppose, huh? You just gotta grind yeah. a little more. Well, anyways, I think that's probably enough for the for the intro bit. Now we can get into the real discussion here.
N64 versus PlayStation 1. The age-old, which one is truly the better console? I think in most people's hearts, uh, people know what is the better console. I'm not going to disclose which one that is. But I thought we would start out with talking about like the hardware between the two. And um, I'm more of the PlayStation 1 expert, so I'll be taking more of the side of the PlayStation. And you'll be taking more of the side of the Nintendo 64 um, I mean, I'm just going to glaze over. I'm not going to get into, like, RAM and, like, all the other, like, nitty-gritty stuff in the actual console itself. Um, but the PlayStation 1, obviously, being disc-based, uh, holds plenty of data, more than most of the N64 cartridges. Uh, it can play audio files at a much higher quality. And, like, even when you were running out of data... Obviously, most people know this, that 90% of games were using, like, multi-disc. Um, was multi it 90%? Well, it wasn't 90% of the games, but, like, if you think about any of, like, the very popular games or games that people still are, yeah, like, yeah. games are still sought after even nowadays, they're, I would say probably half of them are probably, like, du at least double-disc. Um, obviously, there's a lot of, like, okay games and smaller games that use single, but... You know, I feel like any of the big releases were usually the big double discs, um, at least. If not, like, <laughs> there's some that went up to, like, I think... Man, I think the game that had the most discs was Riven, the sequel to Myst. And I think that that had six discs to I play had, that whole game on um, the PS1. I remember I had, like, the computer version of Riven. It has, like, five or six discs, yeah. The computer version does, too? Yeah, there's computer games at that time also had that issue or you had like a bunch of discs yeah cd-roms man i think they only held like 253 megabytes or something like that i don't know the exact number so don't quote me on it but they held a like much smaller amount of data than they hold now because i think a blu-ray disc is like a hundred and something gigs or something crazy like that maybe 60 something gigs for each disc but yeah, I, I mean, we, we've come a long way in terms of disc-based yeah. gaming. <laughs> yeah, for the N64, most cards hold, like, what was it, 8 gig or whatever, and the there's some that hold, like, 64, like Resident Evil 2. I don't think any of them held a gig. Or megs or whatever. Yeah, I think they were, like, 100-something megabytes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, I, the the math on them is a bit strange, and I think every cartridge is a little bit different, and a lot of cartridges were designed differently too. Like sometimes they would put like different hardware kind of in, like in the chip design to do like certain things. So I think yeah, um, you'll see a lot of common issues across like most games with uh, N sixty four, such as like like you had to like. The bitmap compression is like one of the biggest issues. Like, you'll see like the walls and stuff in most games, and they're it looks like they're stretched out, and it looks kind of like murky and blurry and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that was a problem with makes... both consoles, especially. But like certain aspects of the N sixty four were a lot worse. And actually, I have like an another interesting design difference between the two. But I'll let you finish your point first. See, so, yeah, everything looks stretched, blurry, murky. Um, I don't think 
the N64's like potential was ever really fully utilized because of the limitations of what a cart is. Yeah, I think that's a point to be made, and I'll. I actually have a point on that that I'll talk about after the the design aspects of the two, but um, talk about like the polygons and the textures and stuff like that. An interesting thing I heard while listening to a different podcast was that the Nintendo 64 was apparently a lot better at making like larger polygons, if that makes sense. So basically, like if you go to like Bob Field you would have like this huge triangle and then it attaches to another huge triangle, right? Where the PlayStation 1 was a lot better at like smaller polygons. So you couldn't make these like huge triangles to um, cover like surface area. It had to be made up of a lot more smaller triangles, which obviously uses up more, you know, hardware. So it is kind of interesting when you look at the two... Especially early on in the two eras, you can see a lot of N64 games do much better when it comes to rendering, like, longer distances. Like, Mario 64, uh, you can see, like, really, really far. And obviously, like, there's cases in both consoles where the fog distance and stuff like that is terrible. Like, for the Nintendo 64, Turok Turok especially is really, really bad, yeah. But I think you get the problem with the fog distance a lot more frequently on the PlayStation than you do on the nintendo 64 because of that those polygon differences but you know because the playstation was better at making smaller polygons you had models that were a lot more fleshed out i think than what the nintendo 64 typically was doing and you also had a lot of uh, finer detail in like uh you know just like playing a game like metal gear solid for example all the walls and everything have a lot more detail to them than it feels like what an n64 had at the time yeah i mean like they're like there's like some walls that are like jitter which is pretty common in a ps1 game but like they don't have to stretch out the they don't have to do the bitmap compression thing so they can like make a wall as detailed as they want yeah pretty close as long as you know it's not taking up too much space on the disc obviously but yeah i think that's why when you play a lot of ps1 games too like the advertisements uh, strangely as that sound come in pretty uh, crisp like especially playing on my emulator um, a lot of the image files had to be like uh, compressed to be like a smaller like image you know what I mean to fit the disc and uh, with the PS1 emulator it will like crispen up these images and you'd be surprised how good um, some PlayStation 1 games can look when you're like looking off into the distance and you see like a an Activision billboard ad in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and it looks like crystal clear, almost like it was like a download off the internet yeah. or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, to me, it's just like the the Nintendo sixty four just didn't really quite have those kinds of capabilities. Um, but I mean, I feel like we're talking about a lot of disadvantages with like the Nintendo sixty four hardware and cartridges. But the biggest advantage to using the cartridges was the fact that the loading time was a lot faster and especially in the early days i would say the graphics for the nintendo 64 overall were a lot more impressive than what the ps1 was pulling off um back in like 95 and 96 um well the n64 
I mean, I guess they, like, looked better, but, like, at the end of 96, it was only, like, 10 games on the console, whereas there are, like, already hundreds of games on the PS1, so, like, how much of a benefit is that, really, when, like, okay, you had Mario, you had, like, Cruising USA, Wave Race 64, what a great library. Wave Race still looks even great today, like, the waves are it really It does look impressive. great, but, like, the game itself is pretty shallow, honestly. Yeah, it is shallow, but I think that the, the game itself... It's more itself. The game is... It's basically a showcase of what the N64 can do at the time. I would agree. Like, yeah, the, the waves even for... I mean, I, would, I shouldn't say for today's standards, but, like, even up until, like, mid-2000s, um, the way the water mechanics work in that game are really, really impressive. And, like, like I said, I, I don't think the PlayStation could ha have pulled a game off like that. I, I think that... There's, like, one game, like, you know the water levels in Crash 3 where you're on the jet ski? That was similarly you're, pretty good. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, but that was, like, much later on in the console's yeah, life. Yeah, that was, like, I guess, 99, I think. Yeah, 99, probably, 98. Uh, that was much later on in the console's lifespan, but, um, you know, I think that kind of is what I was Crash getting at. Yeah, is so what I'm kind of leading into here is like the Nintendo 64 as a console was a lot harder to develop for, where the PlayStation 1 was extremely easy and extremely cheap. Not only was it cheaper to put a bunch of discs in a plastic case and ship it out, but when the development process is like so much easier, like most developers are just going to go with the, the PlayStation, including when like... There's so many limitations with the N64 cartridge, even though the cartridge does have its own benefits, that a lot of times you're just going to end up going with the PlayStation discs as, like, when you want a cutscene or you want to tell a story, you can just play, like, an FMV video or something like that, where if you're going to do something like that on the Nintendo 64, it's all got to be basically rendered, like, in-game, or you need to do it like Spider-Man 2000 did and have, like, still images with text. You know, you don't have, like, the luxury of just loading in, like, an FMV video... Yeah, um, and like making cutscenes in engine at the time was really, really uncommon. Like one of the first games that really ever did it uh, to an extreme extent was like Metal Gear Solid. Uh, before that, you know, you have like instances like once in a while, but like Metal Gear Solid really is what made people realize that you could in -game do. Game cutscenes were better and the future. Yeah, exactly. They're you know better they're the future you know you don't have like such janky transitions like any time especially in the emulator because with emulation i can make the games and all the polygons and everything look so much more crisp but the fmv video quality is always going to be the same no matter what and like it even so especially when you're emulating it the fmv quality stands out like a really sore thumb uh nowadays compared to even how it was back then what was impressive back then nowadays looks really uh really cringe <laughs> yeah fmvs are definitely a product of their time um another point i want to bring up about like how all the devs like jump ship is like they were basically getting you know tired of nintendo's shtick at this point like they limit the amount of games that they released on nintendo and one of the workarounds is that they would make like other companies like for example konami made ultra games when they released like metal gear on the nes and like ninja turtles and stuff like that and they were basically sick of doing that and having to deal with nintendo's like rules 
regarding like third party games and Sony was a lot more like lenient. So that was definitely a big motivator on why like almost every third party company like jumped ship. Like it was I don't think I'll ever see another mass exodus like that ever again. Yeah, it really was like um Nintendo putting their foot down at the time you know like they were like nope this has worked for us we the reason why we are even a company is because you have this nintendo seal of approval we didn't make the same mistakes as the atari, atari did yeah. yeah it's like we're like we're not sabotaging ourselves you know this is our shtick this is what we're gonna do no we're not going to disc-based gaming we're gonna do cartridges and we'll fuck over like multiple different disc-based companies like philips and sony um along the way as we continue to like keep our feet in the ground i i would say like even though overall the nintendo 64 was a success uh i think like in terms of you know the way that they were handling things with other companies especially at the time was extremely poor and i think it's probably one of the biggest mistakes uh in nintendo's history because later on down the line not only did they lose to the playstation during this era because of that they lost the playstation 2 i mean they didn't really come back until like the wii happened and the wii really was like more of an anomaly rather than something that could be easy replicable if that makes sense they created their own worst nightmare yeah basically Yeah, I mean, it happens. Um, I don't have really anything else to say about that. I mean... Yeah, I think we exhausted the hardware conversation a little bit. I felt like there was one other point I wanted to make, but uh, it's slipping my mind a little bit now. Um, maybe I'll think about it later, but I suppose let's get into like the real meat of it, the content here and talk about like the individual games because, you know even though we've already kind of expressed like the hardware differences and how, you know, ultimately I think Sony's model shaped up to be the superior model, even though I think there are instances where the Nintendo 64 um, ends up really shining uh, depending on like the game and how, you know, committed like the development team is uh, just because of how difficult the hardware was to, to make a game for, but how much potential it had. Oh, that's right. The point I was going to make is uh, I think if you look at like a game from the PlayStation 1 in like 2000 versus like a Nintendo 64 game from the 2000, because the PlayStation was pretty much solved at that point, if that makes sense, like companies have been developing a ton of games for this console. You know, there's a lot of resources. It was like kind of the console that everybody was making just a ton of stuff for at the time. It was obviously the most popular platform. Um, I think that the PlayStation was really, really pushed to its full limit, um, you know, especially at the very end of its life cycle, where I, I do agree with you with your point that you made earlier. I don't think the Nintendo 64 ever truly got fully pushed to its limit. I mean, maybe the furthest it got pushed to me was like Conker's Bad Fur Day, because it was kind of a mixture of like the really nice Nintendo 64 graphics and everything that the Nintendo 64 had excelled at at the time, but then they also managed to uh, barely, barely, I mean, the sound quality is terrible, but like they managed to get voice acting in a game that like really, on the Nintendo 64, it was damn near impossible. There's like in-game cutscenes and everything. Yeah, that 
like that's like the closest it will ever get to like realizing its potential, but that's about it. It was like when the console was basically finished, GameCube was already announced at that point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe Resident Evil 2 as well. That's a pretty impressive feat. Yeah. The other in-game cutscenes are FMVs, which is really surprising. Yeah, I don't Even know. Even though they're compressed. I don't know how they managed to to make that game work on the Nintendo 64. Uh, the dev team at the time for the Resident Evil games must have been like superhuman or something because not only did they manage to port a two-disc PlayStation 1 game to the N64 in a single cartridge and make it look better on top of that with the expansion pack, which is, like, just incredible. but And they also managed to make it so that you could play without the expansion pack as well, which is, like, just mind-boggling. But they were also working on a port for the Game Boy. And if you look at that port, the, like, technology that's, like, going on like just looking at footage of that port even though it looks terrible i'm like how are they even managing to do this like it's a pretty one-for-one like port of the game even though it's on a game boy so it just looks like awful but like i remember hearing about that yeah yeah the hardware or like just the coding it must have taken to even like get it working I i can't even fathom what what it was taking so i don't know those guys are like superhuman but yeah anyways it's like Go ahead. An impressive, I mean, impressive, like, like feat for that. But it's like horror on a Game Boy Color. Maybe this isn't a good idea after all. Yeah, and I mean, it was barely off its feet, basically. Like they had the engine down, but I mean, they had the whole nine yards left to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, they had yeah, a lot. I'm a lot surprised left. they like even thought of it to begin with. Yeah, and I mean, and they weren't even half-assing it either. They were really going all the way. But, uh, but anyways, yeah. So let's talk. Let's start talking about um, some of the actual games on each console and how they shape up. Because I think it's really interesting how, to me, uh, each console like was better at doing like certain kinds of games. And I don't think we will ever see anything like that again either, which is very unique for the time. It's like if you're gonna go and play like the PlayStation One just generally speaking like you're going there for like role-playing games um you know racing games stuff like that like more simulation based games like a rally racer or something where it's like if you're looking at like the nintendo 64 that was like the party console you know what i mean you got like games like mario party you got um you know mario kart smash bros uh, you know, the four controller ports being built in the Nintendo 64 really made a huge difference in, like, the multiplayer content for that game, as well as, like, just the uh, sheer amount of, like, really good platformers on the console as well. And um, I think that console also kind of did first-person shooters the best as well, even though I think the PlayStation was... really that well. They didn't age well, but I also feel like the PlayStation was more geared to make better shooters but for some reason they just the best Maybe thing they the ever got was like medal of honor yeah i think really what I mean, it boiled a lot down of to, stuff was like pc port like water down right PC yeah ports, like quake too like yeah and I even those games didn't really have like the wazda and you know mouse controls like fully down pat until like quake and half-life were coming out um that's when they really like got that down pat but like 
before I get into like a deeper topic about the games, like just for talking about first person shooters in general, like the fact that the PlayStation had two analog sticks, but not a single shooter took advantage of it utilized it yeah is really sad because i mean you had a game like ape escape which forced you to use the dual shot controller so it's like i don't know why there wasn't like just one shooter that came out that forced you to use the dual shock because i get why they weren't forcing you to do it because there was still a large player base that didn't have dual shock and they just had you know the normal d-pad but you know if ape escape was willing to take the risk and force you to use dual shock and it still sold really well i i thought maybe just one other game would you know go down that path as well but it didn't really end up happening yeah something interesting that about the ps1 that always perplexed me like the technology was pretty much there to make a fps that's kind of like an fps of today but i don't think the devs really figured it out yet like how to make a fps like a modern one yeah i mean i i agree i feel like the technology was there and it's just a little frustrating when i play a game like medal of honor or something like that on the playstation it one has tank controls. Yeah, yeah i mean the controls are actually okay like it's pretty playable but i'm like man my right analog stick isn't doing anything i feel like i could use my right analog stick to look around you know what i mean like like it's there it's right in front of your eyes like god damn it dude just come out with like a mod or something like that where it's got normal freaking controls <laughs> i feel like that was kind of an issue with a lot of ps1 games like like there were a bunch of buttons that were never used the right analog stick was never fully utilized in a lot of games yeah like i said i think it's just like, like alienating how many games, a player like, base that they were afraid of like how many games in that library are like l2 and r2 like never used I mean, a lot of the times they were used, but it was like something really like, silly, like like you know, trivial, like yeah, we'll use it like once center the camera or something with R two. Like it's not trivial. Like centering the camera with R two is nice, but it's like you know, most games nowadays like the camera issue is pretty solved because they would just use the other analog stick to move the camera around rather than making it just auto center with a button like you know there's just a lot of devs at the time that took like the framework of mario 64 and they kind of used that in their own game not realizing that the playstation 1 controller could have done a lot more but they were still acting like you know r2 is the z button and shit like that you you get what i'm saying it's just like they weren't thinking outside the box enough at the time in, in my opinion but yeah, let's get actually into the game. So I, I thought like starting out with maybe platformers would be the best because I think this would probably be the most divisive to talk about in terms of just the quality of both consoles. Platformers are really, really high. And, you know, I think nostalgia makes me have a preference for one. And I think nostalgia also makes other people and maybe even you have a nostalgia for the other but, um, you know, what do you think about the quality of, of platformers on the on the Nintendo 64 console? I think it comes down to preference, really, and nostalgia, like, waxing it. Um, I actually played Crash first before Mario 64. Um, and there's just, like, a solid amount. Like, there's Spyro, there's just, like, so many other stuff. I mean, the N64, like, has both banjos, it has... Obviously, Conquer, Mario, um, Donkey Kong 64. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that game, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a banjo if it had too much going on. Yeah, yeah um... I don't know, like, the Donkey Kong Country's on Super NES are, like, way better. Yeah, I think, like, the... The thing is, is, like... I don't think the ins- and I I could be proven wrong by you know somebody else, but I I don't think that the Nintendo sixty four was really doing like any two D games anymore at the time, like everything was three D. But, like, but like the PlayStation, if you're gonna talk about like pure platformers, had a lot more like traditional just straight up two D platformers on on the console. Um, you had weird games like Pandemonium, which was like a two and a half D. You had a game like Tomba, which was also like two and a half D, but I would say also was like mainly two D. And Tomba is actually a great platformer um, when you boil it down. And those are like kind of niche titles, uh, obviously. But I can't even think of very niche titles for the N sixty four. There's that one like samurai game. I think you you played it quite a bit. It's like Brave Fencer Musashi, or I know that that's a game, but. talking about actually it's pretty difficult it's you know you can swap between characters it's got like this oh goemon goemon yeah there's i i do well, believe I that there's playstation as well i do i was gonna say i do believe there's but they're different games from what i remember yeah yeah um and i think some people prefer the nintendo 64 version but sometimes it's kind of weird i take people's opinions with a grain of salt because a lot of people that peruse the online forums and stuff end up being like nintendo fanboys a little bit and like not to call people out but sometimes i feel like when there's like equal games on like both consoles or something like that gravitate towards the nintendo version it seems like a lot of the time and i'm like i mean is the that version really better are you just saying that because you prefer the nintendo 64 you get what i mean so but yeah they're really similar games but i think that's really the only like 2d platformer i can think of on on the Nintendo Kirby 64. Kirby is actually like, it's like 2.5D. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, Kirby 64 I mean, it's is good. It's 3D, but you can only move in the line, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's that, okay. I think that the PlayStation wins out when it comes to 2D platformers by quite a, like a country mile. Because Kirby 64 is really the only one that I can think of. And I played a good chunk of that game. And like, I, I love Kirby. Like, I'm the biggest advocate for Kirby ever. I, own almost all of them i have like the classic kirby games on the game boy and game boy advance but the 64 one never really did it for me man like i it's just a little there's not enough like going on like the the old 2d games had just so much love and art and like the sprites are just so vibrant and it felt like when they switched everything to be like a 3d model and you know the backgrounds just didn't translate as well and like the models didn't really have as much expressiveness which is weird enough because you'd think it'd be better in 3d but it just kind of looked uh looked off you know it's like one level where that's an exception but other than that yeah i agree with you on kirby oh there's another 2d platform but i don't actually like it um yoshi story oh i mean it's short i thought it was a good game though actually you're right though that is a that's a pretty good Yoshi's game, but it's it's so short. You could beat that game in like an hour or two, right? It's so short. Um, yeah, Yoshi's Island on Super NES is better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I think anybody. Yeah, two D platformers. Like, I do think the PlayStation has like a lot more going for it. 
I mean, 3D, it's contentious, but like... You do have Klonoa too on the P- PlayStation 1, even though it's really hard to get your hands on. If you want to get it on the PS3 store or emulate it, uh, Dude, it's also a great to get it. it was like 20 bucks, too. Too bad it, uh, you know, burned in the old dance video <laughs> fucker <laughs> of, like, what was that, 2010? <laughs> what a tragedy. Yeah, that game's worth, like, $700 now. I looked it up recently what? on eBay. Yep. Dude, I saw it on the shelf. It was, like, $20. I know. It eats away oh. at my soul, like, regularly. I still think about, <laughs> I still think about that game. It's so tragic. I think you had Good. games like Digimon World there too, which is like a $60 game. It's kind of sad because there's like... It is really, really sad because if you think about probably the amount of copies of Klonoa exist out in the world, it's got to be like, you know, who knows how many copies were really made. But it, for it to be a $700 game, it couldn't have been more than like 10000 or something. Um, and to have one of the 10000 be, you know, melted, like melted down... And in a dump somewhere is, uh, you know, brings a tear to my eye. A little bit. <laughs> I miss that store, man. It's a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, we used to go there like every day. But yeah, what other um, genres do you want to talk about? Well, let's just move on to the 3D ones a little bit. Um, like if I were to go one to one, most of the 3D platformers on the PlayStation kind of suck. It's really the three Crash games and the three Spyro games, right? And then you're kind of against the lineup of Mario 64, Banjos 1 and 2, Conquer. Um, I feel like there's a big one we're missing. <laughs> Rocket, Robot on Wheels, maybe? Dude, I love Rocket. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. That's a good game. I love Rocket, uh... Robot on Wheels. DK sixty four obviously too. I'm not count. I'm not counting that. <laughs> oh man, you hate it that much. I think some people would say it's one of their favorites in the franchise. They really like it over Donkey Kong Country. Gross. Yeah, man. I don't know. Well, not over Donkey Kong Country, but I think there's some people that grew up with it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's too long. For it, me, like, takes old... collectathon to the extreme, which I don't like. Yeah. For me, I I do prefer Spiral of the Dragon. So Spiral of the Dragon, I think, is the closest model to, like, the Banjo model. And I do prefer the Spyro take on it a little bit more. Because even, like, the Banjo games get a little bit too collectathon Like, you load into your first level in, like, the first Banjo game, and there's, like, six different kinds of things you can collect. And Spyro is very condensed you kind of just like walk into a level and you're just expected to collect gems orbs and kill i mean orbs in later games were eggs in the first spiral you just basically collect gems there's really not almost nothing else outside of like a few egg runners on select levels but you know i think the fact that the spiral games have less to collect but it still gets like the same job done that Banjo's doing makes Spiral of the Dragon edge out over like Banjo or DK64 uh, for me. Yeah, I never actually finished either of the Banjos. I don't yeah, know, I just got stuck hard. in them. Yeah. There's just a lot to... I'll have to get to it someday. Yeah, there's just a lot that you need to grab. Like, I... 
I can sit and I can 100% a Spyro game in a day. And, like, some people would see that as maybe a downside. But, like, for me, it's a positive when... Because I don't have that much time to play games most of the time. So if I can finish a game in a day, um, it makes me feel a little Hell more yeah. accomplished, like a day or two. Um, I'm sure people who are, like, practice can probably do the same thing with, like, the banjos. But, like, I don't... I don't, like, know... I just don't know the game, so... Yeah, and then if you were to, like, compare, like, the Crash Trilogy to probably Mario 64, uh, it's really quality over quantity, I guess. Like, I don't necessarily prefer Crash over Mario 64, um, especially, the, especially the first game, but it's a different experience. Very good games. Yeah, I... They're... It's also a different kind of game, too. I think that's what's unique about Crash Bandicoot is, to me, all these games are doing, like, the 2.5 3D uh, kind of gameplay had it wrong, and Crash Bandicoot got it right. Like, when you just yeah. have the behind-the-back linear platforming, it's got the same feel as, like, a traditional 2D platformer in a 3D space. Like, they, they got it the nail on the head. And it was really strange to not see any clones of Crash Bandicoot at the time, it seemed like people were either doing 2.5D or they were just uh, Mario 64 clones, and nobody was really attempting to do, like, a Crash Bandicoot clone outside oh, of... there's one you're forgetting, m and <laughs> I was gonna say, god damn it. <laughs> this really terrible, you know, m ms game decided to... Dude, the moonwalking Metal Gear. Come on, you have to love it. <laughs> There's that that uh, that game could almost deserve an entire episode in and of itself. Like oh it's, man, it's, that uh, game is it's an experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, did you have anything to add on to that? Um, I guess like Mario sixty four, it's like the king of speedrunning. I guess. I yeah, mean, I Crash think that game's really like, the test of time. Speedrunning, like seen as well, but like Mario sixty four, it's like the most popular speedrunning game. Yeah, there's just something about the way that they have the mechanics for Mario's jumping in that game that's just really satisfying to... You know, just it's just satisfying just to control Mario. Like, they had that perfectly. Like, the satis it's almost as satisfying to control Spyro, but, like, Spyro doesn't really have quite as much in terms of, like... I know he's a, a dragon and he can glide and you're like man a dragon should be able to fly over the place but like really mario is a lot more agile than spyro ever is and i just think that the way he basically is an acrobat or something like that and you're just jumping around everywhere is inherently really fun so it's like something that game kind of has over almost any other uh platformer platform, really yeah in that era up until probably some more of the more recent Mario games. Pretty sure even. they designed uh, Mario and like all the stuff you can do before they like design the levels. Yeah, I do believe that that's the uh, the story behind it. Um, yeah, let's move on to another genre. Uh, I I always think that one that's a little fun to bring up, even though really it's just dogging on the N sixty four, is uh the RPGs. <laughs> Hell yeah, baby, Paper Mario. Yeah, I mean, really, I, it, the reason why it's funny is because the Nintendo 64, you could count the amount of RPGs on one hand, and... The good ones, at least. I mean, I think you could literally count all the RPGs almost on one hand. Like, real, yeah. genuine RPGs. Like, do you count, like, Pokemon Stadium as an RPG, or no? 
Not really. I mean, you're not actually... I mean, I, I guess you could. If you want to stretch it, then, like, yeah, you could probably fit it in. But that's what I mean is, like, you're almost stretching it. Like, you're like, is it? Like, should I put it in there? Like, okay, uh, so you we'll, have we'll fudge the numbers a little bit. <laughs> Paper Mario, Ogre Battle, hell yeah. Quest 64? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Quest 64, I guess the Pokemon Stadiums. So that's one hand. <laughs> that's, oh my that's, like, God, all that's... five. And That's like, crazy. yeah, and it's like the PlayStation One. You could, on one hand, take the RPGs in that console and put them in like a top 100 games list of all time. You know what I mean? You could easily take five RPGs from the PS One era and place them somewhere in the top 100 games list. I, I think like you got like games like Final Fantasy Seven, Final Fantasy Nine. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is uh, really beloved by a lot of people, including me right now. I've I've been really enjoying playing through that game. And they got a lot more like niche titles too that are that are really excellent as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think everybody's probably heard enough about uh, the PlayStation One RPG. So I I'll let you talk about like games like uh, Ogre Tactics or Ogre Battle. Ogre Tactics. Oh, actually, um, Ogre Tactics is the PlayStation 1 version of that game. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of, like, Ogre whatever's on the PS1. Yeah, so I'll let you I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> okay, so Ogre Battle, obviously, like, the closest comparison is Final Fantasy Tactics. I do think Tactics is better, but that doesn't mean Ogre Battle's, like, bad by any means. I just think... I think... Ogre Battle... It's like, it's almost, it's not like turn-based even. It's like a strategy RPG. Um, Paper Mario is like the only like true like turn-based like RPG on the system that's like you know good. It came out at around the same time as Cocker did. Yeah, very late in the lifespan. So a lot of people were already done with the Nintendo sixty-four. They were like over it. And we're ready to move on by the time that game came out. So I think a lot of hey, people man, it was missed 30 out. Thirty hours of fun for me. Yeah, exactly. I I just think a lot of people like missed out initially, you know, on, on that game and yeah, what Quest, it could bring. For a long time, it was literally just Quest sixty four. And that game. And that game bad. is terrible. Yeah, that game's really bad. I don't even know what you could say about it other than it's bad because it's a very basic turn based yeah, combat system. But like, I think that's its fault is that it's not doing anything interesting and the story is boring too so it's like <laughs> it's just boring yeah rpgs there are none fighters that's another one where like the n64 just doesn't have anything well i think that's uh, a a point of discussion a little bit for some people because i think some people will point at the first uh super smash brothers and say that that's a good fighting game it's not like a traditional like 2d fighter it's a platform fighter like 2D fighters like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat like they don't have anything like that on the N64 I think a good argument you can make though is that it's the only true like four player fighting game of the era I don't even think that there's really any four player fighting games now even like Smash Bros still kind of holds that Nintendo All-Stars Brawl baby I'm gonna be a Spongebob mid you mean the, play the Sony or Playstation All-Stars gosh no like there's gonna be a not Nintendo. I mean Nickelodeon. Oh, Nickelodeon, right? Yeah. I mean, you fucked Bob Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, the PlayStation one flopped. But, um, you know, I think that, that gives it a, a little bit of an edge over maybe some other, other some other fighting games. Um, personally, I would prefer playing Tekken 3. And it's still a great party game because, I mean, a lot of the times if you're going to bust out a game like Tekken 3 uh, with a bunch of friends around, you're being a little... It's a little more of a competitive environment, right? So you bust yeah. that game out, you play a game like King of the Hill or something, right? Where somebody two people play and whoever wins keeps the controller whoever loses passes it off and you just keep kind of playing like that um for however long you want to play for that's usually the way that you know i used to play it back in the day but mario 64 is a lot more casual anybody can pick it up and play it you can get four people to play everybody's screaming and having fun it's uh it's a different feel and it's something that the playstation is missing out on what was that yeah i mean you need the multi-tap which I mean, why do you need an extension? I mean, even if you have one, you can't even do it. There's a lot of games that were not compatible with that multi-tap. Interesting. That's crazy. Enough. I mean, the PS2 like had games with it, but like I guess the PS1 didn't. Yeah, I don't think a lot of games on the PlayStation One could handle uh, four people four being players. on the screen at once. Yeah, uh, where the, the Nintendo, Nintendo 64, 64 was built for it. It was like a one-trick pony that was like really, really good at that one trick. <laughs> yeah, like the party games on it are like insane yeah it's basically uncomparable but i think it's a preference thing like i think that you could say that there's some people out there that would prefer to play a more casual smash bros game and there's some people out there like me that really like the technicality of like a tech of a tekken game you know but i i think that's really where it ends there was like a mortal kombat game on both consoles that sucked so that's about it mortal kombat 4 i think uh i thought it was yeah i think it's 4 there's also like that Sub Zero game that's just oh trash. yeah Sub Zero mythologies. <laughs> Not even really a fighting game. It's like take the shitty people wouldn't say shitty, but take like the crummy like extra arcade mode or whatever the hell that was in like the lore. Yeah, and then well, it was like what was it? I think it was like a infinite thing where you could just keep like running and fighting enemies or something until like you got a high score. I think Tekken has a similar mode, but imagine Atlas. just taking that into and turning it into a video game like take the like it's just terrible <laughs> but yeah um i think another thing that it's kind of going to be the same song and dance right like if you talk about the racing games i think the 64 had a plethora of racing games that are mostly mediocre i think that a lot of them are good I mean, you have obviously Mario sixty four and Diddy Kong Racing. Mario Diddy Kong Racing. Diddy yeah. Kong Racing is like one of the most beloved things on the system. It's a great game. I think it's a great problem, game, but it's really hard. I, I think the problem I have with it is that I think Crash Team Racing saw it and was like, "I'll do that, but I'm gonna do it better." Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, that's also a hot. They're gonna get the pitchforks at you. <laughs> probably but i mean i don't know that's just like how i feel about it uh to me the crash team racing just like saw the more open world like kart racing aspect um, yeah aspect of the diddy Kong racing game rather than being like linear and like you know the cups like what mario 64 was doing and they were like yeah let's just do that but let's like refine it and that's exactly what they did and I think overall it ends up being a better experience than what Diddy Kong Racing has even though Diddy Kong Racing is also one of my favorite kart racers of all time it's just kind of like they were the first ones to do it 
and Crash Team Racing was kind of like the game that took it and you know brought it to basically perfection. I don't really know how much better Crash Team Racing could have been. It's like one of the uh, to me, it's like the best kart racer of all time outside of like maybe Mario Kart Eight right now or something like that, or like Double Dash. Um, I don't know why, but I do see like Diddy Kong racing like speedrun races. Like two people like racing each other, like a lot, like on YouTube and Twitch and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a great game to speed run too. There's a lot of glitches and stuff in it. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot um, of people have it close to their heart too. So, I mean, I think a lot of like the way speedrunning games work is if it's like not only like culturally popular, but it's got a lot of like fun glitches and stuff that you can do too. It just kind of has this like perfect hodgepodge to make like a popular. Uh, speedrunning game like and I think Diddy Kong is one of those games see I mean so there's the big two like like Diddy Kong and Mario Kart and then there's like F-Zero which is the 60 frames it's so crisp F-Zero is great I think another problem is that like once again PlayStation took it and I don't think they did it better though but there is a Wipeout series on PlayStation which um, well, is pretty wipeout on comparable as well. right yeah, but there's more wipeouts. That's what another oh, weird thing packs. between the consoles is like you'll get these games that they'll have a whole series like there's three wipeout games on the PlayStation 1 and then the N64 gets one of them for like some reason and it has like some minor differences. It's always a little strange, but um yeah, I think like Wipeout 3 is probably the best out of the whole set and I think that that's the thing that comes closest to F0. But uh, in my opinion, if you're talking about like a speedy, like just balls to the wall, like fast racer, I, I think F Zero does it better than what Wipeout does. Yeah, um, the one on the GameCube's like better, but like this one's still good as well. F Zero X. Um, there's one racer that I thought would suck dick the moment I played it, but it like actually surprised me. It's called Beetle Adventure Racing. It's yeah, I think I remember. Volkswagen Beetles. I think I, I remember oh us God, both playing suck. that, and it was good. <laughs> I'm like, wait, the graphics are pretty good. It controls well enough. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> this game's actually good. Yeah, again, that has like no business actually being a good game. It ends up being like, yeah, it's literally just like a shameless product placement of the Volkswagen Beetle, but it's like, wait. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, actually, another good kart racer on the console that I think we're forgetting about is, like, that Mickey Speedway racing or whatever, and it's, like, using the same engine as the Diddy Kong racing game, and that one's actually really good, too, just because it's basically Diddy Kong racing with more tracks and, Disney. like, the, and Disney characters. Yeah, it's one of the rare games. There's 11 of them, and yep. a lot of people say that that's the odd one out, but it's an alright game in its own right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's basically Diddy Kong racing with, uh... Disney characters, Disney characters and you know I mean the game's not as good so I think that's all there um, really is to say about that one but yeah other than that like I don't really see any racers on the N64 that are really like worth talking about a lot of like something about the N64 like a big bulk of its library is mediocre racing games yeah I mean I think you could say that about both consoles kind of like there's a lot of racers on the PlayStation 1 too. There's a lot of like dirt biking games and like just random crap like that. But 
I think like where the PlayStation starts to edge out the Nintendo 64 in terms of its racers, because I think you could really prefer one or the other when it comes to like F-Zero or Wipeout, Crash Team Racing, Mario Kart, Diddy Kong. Like, I, I think like generally speaking, like the Nintendo 64 in terms of like the party kart racers and like even, you know, like F-Zero and stuff, Wave Race too. Like, it, it edges out PlayStation, but then when PlayStation starts to come back, is when you talk about, like, the simulation racers, you have, like, uh, Colin McRae Rally, which is, like, one of the, you know, most beloved rally games of all time. You have the Gran Turismo games, which is yeah, an ongoing series still to this day, and one of the most beloved games in its era, too, and very technically impressive for the time, too, where, like, the Nintendo 64 for games like that wasn't even coming close and i think it had some more arcade kind of rally games on it but nothing yeah, it did, that was supposed to be nothing like a pure simulation well. well nothing like a pure simulation like colin mcrae was either um i mean it had excite bike 64 but i don't know that's like it i don't know how much of a simulation that is yeah i think that one's more arcadey too i mean it's it's good and like some of the rally ones are good too but i mean you could also talk about like ridge racer being on playstation 2 uh, and you know stuff like that if you're going to get more arcadey like there's a lot of arcade ports on both but if you're just looking at like the pure exclusives you know in terms of simulation you're going to the playstation i think for like party games like the kart racers i think it's reasonable to say that playstation's lacking outside of one game and that game can't even go four player um where you know Mario Kart can so kind of depends Doesn't on what you want to do. Doesn't have in the USA. Doesn't cruising. have cruising. <laughs> the USA. Oh man, that game sucks. But that intro, baby. It's fun in a arcade. Yeah, I, I would say it's not as fun. Yeah, this is a time period where they couldn't quite like replicate the arcade experience yet. <laughs> Cruising the USA is a prime example of that. Yeah, I don't know if there was a steering wheel attachment for the N64. There probably was, but I know that there was for the PlayStation 1. There isn't, so to my knowledge. The PlayStation 1 is a little better in certain like aspects because of third-party uh, controllers being made, like third-party steering wheels and stuff, which tries to help replicate that arcade experience a little bit. Oh, yeah. The third-party N64 controllers... Um suck at least the ones made at the time i mean everything third party at the time kind of sucked i would say like what's weird is like mad cats at the time made pretty good stuff like i had a mad cats steering wheel controller that lasted me a long 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 time and i had like a mad cats controller too that lasted a long time but then like mad cats ended up being kind of garbage later on oh you know what my stepdad had a flight stick for a ps1 for like a flight simulator. Can't remember what it was, but like I think that was, was first like party. It was like for Ace Combat. Oh. 2, yeah, it was a first I party. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. I think it was bundled with Ace Combat too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it just seemed like the PlayStation were willing to do yeah, more flight accessories on as well. I mean, if you really want to dive into accessories as well, like there's like games like Dance Dance Revolution, which use like the DDR dance pad that I think N64 is missing out on there's um you know ace combat with its flight simulator stick there's even an arcade uh fighting stick for tekken that came out at the time as well uh there was also 
a mouse um, that you could use for games like Doom. Um, I think there was a mouse for the N64 as well, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously the N64 also had peripherals, but... They didn't have that many. Yeah, it seemed like the PlayStation was doing a little more because it was giving a little... Probably, once again, more leniency with the third-party stuff um, coming out at the time. Um, it was kind of like how they needed an outside rumble pack, and you couldn't even use, like, the uh, memory pack at the same time as the rumble pack without, like, taking it out, and then PlayStation... It's like PlayStation, every time, like, the N64 did something good, it was like PlayStation and the PlayStation developers looked at it and were like, all right, let's, like, do that, better. but do it a little bit better. Like, let's put the rumble in the controller. Let's take their analog stick and put two of them and have, like, a much better layout on our controller. It's like... Even the design of the original PlayStation controller without the analog sticks is basically like a slightly it's a super NES. Yeah, it's a Super but, NES, maybe arguably slightly improved because you added two more buttons um, on the shoulders and added like a little extra grip for the hands on the side. Uh, the only thing that maybe isn't an improvement is like the D-pad. I never was a big fan of the PlayStation One D-pad, but yeah, the N64 used the same D-pad from the Super NES days, but yeah, and it's great. It's just rarely used. Yeah, <laughs> you're usually using analog stick for everything, so it's not too much of a benefit. Um, um, a point I'd like to make about the you know the slot on the controller is that the way it worked with Rumble and controller pack is that um, when you're saving, the game will tell you to put in the controller pack, and then when you're done saving, it'll tell you to put back the Rumble pack after you're done saving. So you can use both, it's just... You know, kind of annoying to do that. Yeah, I would say that like uh, that poor controller is just like a mangled butt fuck piece of equipment. Like <laughs> that thing is just getting cr fucked in all of its holes. It's like got this weird one hole design. <laughs> it's got this weird design. It's basically being run a train just so you can save your game. The controller is probably the worst aspect of uh, the Nintendo 64, as roof as revolutionary as it was on release. Uh, it has aged probably the worst out of any controller, but it is like the most unique experience. I will say that I went out of my way to buy a USB Nintendo 64 controller, so when we eventually get to uh, talking about some N64 games, I have like a more genuine way to like have the experience you know rather than trying to play it on like a playstation controller because i mean you know sometimes the game i mean some games are literally like you have to play it at, with a nintendo 64 controller you try playing it with like a playstation 1 controller it just doesn't feel right because of the way the controls are set up it's just so i couldn't weird. imagine playing ocarina on that then i mean the only saving grace is that you could use like the right analog stick as the c buttons so, I mean, kind of like what weird. they did like, with the GameCube. I mean, again, you assign items to the C buttons. Imagine trying doing that in Ocarina. Yeah, very strange. <laughs> Actually, I think that that should be, like, another conversation about the games is, you know, I don't think that there's any parallel for Legend of Zelda and PlayStation. Like, we've been talking about parallels for so many different... Uh, games and genres but when it comes to like uh i don't know what you would call zelda but it's, it's like a game. yeah like a, an action adventure game uh there's really nothing even close to the legend of zelda that the playstation offers like one of the only games that anybody ever talks about which is a bit of a 
unknown game is a game called Alundra. And that was, yeah, it's more of a 2D um, take on The Legend of Zelda. And then they came out with Alundra 2, which is supposed to be more of a 3D take on it. Uh, But both of them end up being, like, pretty shameless copies in a way. And they're okay for what they are, but they never come close to being as good as the source material. Oh, yeah, there were, like, Zelda, like, clones, kind of like how there were Doom clones, like, in the early 90s. Like, and this was a lot more frequent back then, so maybe they just learned the lesson at the time. Yeah, um, I mean, Zelda is just... Really, Zelda is really uncopyable. I think the most comparable thing on the PlayStation is, like, if they're... So, the N64 has Legend of Zelda, which is, like, its own standalone, like... It's probably the best title on the Nintendo 64 for a lot of people. And, like, I think the only way that you can make the same parallel is talking about a game like Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1. Because both... In terms of quality, right? Yeah, yeah, in terms of quality and in terms of the fact that it is, like, the exclusive experience. Like, it's not like... Like, when I see somebody playing Mario 64 and I'm on my PlayStation, I'm like, oh, man... I wish I could play something like that. At least I got, like, Crash Team Racing or something, right? There's, there's like, a parallel where I'm like, well, at least I got this, even though they have that. If that, you know what I mean? There's always, like, a compromise where it's, like, when it comes to Metal Gear Solid, that is just a PlayStation game. There's nothing even close to remotely being... Remotely close. You know, yeah, not yeah, even I remotely can't think close. Of and then I think you could kind of say the same thing about The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask. I mean, both yeah. those games are very much products of exclusively the nintendo 64 um and both of them i think a lot of people would argue that they got better in later entries like i would say some people think that you know metal gear solid 2 and 3 took what metal gear solid did and made it even better and then like same thing with like ocarina and majora's mask like you look at twilight princess and wind waker and it kind of takes like the mechanics and brings them to their fullest extent um I still think Ocarina, Majora, and Metal Gear Solid are really fucking good games. Yeah, they're like timeless classics, and like I think any anybody could just butt heads about which one they like better. Like I think both of us personally are huge Metal Gear Solid fanboys, so we would probably side more with Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid, yeah. But you know, I think anybody saying that they like Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask more than Metal Gear Solid is like totally valid in that opinion. They are amazing games. Majora's Mask is probably my favorite Zelda. Yeah, I really like how different the story is compared to most traditional Zelda games. Um, Zelda with a time limit. Never before done or since. Not just that, I just think it's like the whole like ambiance of it all, like dread, and a lot of the stories are really sad and daunting as well like it's a very different look that i don't think zelda had you know done before i mean we've had we we had a couple of games before majora's mask there's like you know link to the past links awakening ocarina of time and like the original two zelda games and then to see like zelda go so dark was uh very different and then like immediately after that the next zelda game you get is wind waker and like well, I think there was Oracle Oracle of Seasons and um, the other Oracle. Oracle of Ages, uh, which, you know, I guess I wouldn't really count those, even though I was counting Link's Awakening. But uh, yeah, basically the next 3D entry you get is 
Wind Waker, Wind which Waker. is a complete 180 from what Majora's Mask is, uh, with its like really bright colors and cell shaded graphics. Yeah. Yeah, it makes and Majora's Twilight Mask Princess stand out even does more. Kind of like another 180, kind of. I mean, it's not as dark as Majora, but. Um. Yeah, Twilight Princess is. Um. Mostly like Ocarina, I guess. I don't know. It's been a while since I played it. I had to play yeah. freaking Wiimote. I think that's just what makes uh, Majora's Mask in particular, like, even more timeless than maybe even a game like Ocarina is just because it's such a unique entry in the franchise that if you've had a lot of Zelda experiences, I think a lot of people find themselves coming back to Majora's Mask nowadays more than Ocarina just because, like, you know, you've seen the Ocarina song and dance a few times now, you know what I mean? Where it's like Majora's Mask is very just uh, a u- very unique experience uh, encapsulated in that in that single game. Are there uh, any other genres you can think of or any other games that sh- are like worth pointing out? Um, jeez. What else is there? I mean, like... I mean, you could talk about party games again. Talk about no, how great no. Mario Party is compared to like, I the feel like... rift on the PlayStation. That's another situation where it's like, okay, so Mar- PlayStation had the RPGs, which is like a total single-player experience, and then, like, you know, and N64 has actual party games that you can play with friends where, like, PlayStation... PlayStation's a very single-player experience kind of console. Not a whole lot of stuff you can do with friends on there. No uh, socializing whatsoever. I mean, really, yeah, there's there's not... Almost, like, all the games that use the multi-tap aren't very good. Um, actually, you know what another game, is, another set of games are that uh, use a third-party controller uh, that are really good? There's a lot of light gun games on the PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Time Crisis. I like that game. Time Crisis is awesome. I really love Time Crisis. There's also a kind of niche game called Point Blank, which is basically a set of, like, imagine Wario. I I remember that. Yeah, imagine, like, WarioWare if it was a light gun game. You know, you're just doing, like, these little five to ten second, uh, gun games, essentially, and then you get scored at the end, and then you move on. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's like, like I said, it's WarioWare with a light gun. There and there's three of them, and they're all like really excellent. Yeah, light gun. That's that's something that the N64 doesn't have, even though the NES and the Super NES had it. Strangely. Yeah, it's just uh, it's very strange how much the N64 like regressed. Yeah, back on. There's but, no Metroid. Yeah, there's no Metroid. Yeah, I mean, I think. We've kind of covered just about... I mean, there's, like, sports games, puzzle games. Those are mostly, like... I think that you could find a lot of, uh... I think that you could find a lot of, like, parallels. Yeah, on both genres. Um, Yeah, there's, like, a lot of good puzzle games on PlayStation. There's a lot of good puzzle games on N64, too, honestly. I'm not, like, as versed in those, so I guess they're a little harder to talk about. Oh, there's, like, this one, like tower game on the or on the ps1 that i liked a lot yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i don't remember what the name of it is but i liked it too there's also like this cube game too that you like dodge these cubes coming towards you 
That one's a lot Fuck, of fun what's too. What's the name of it? I can't remember. Um, I think probably PlayStation also wins in the puzzle games too. I can't think of a whole lot of puzzle games in sixty four. There's just a no, lot more content. I feel like there's just a lot more content on the PlayStation. There's just like there's a lot of computer ports too on the PlayStation that like N sixty four doesn't have. But it's I feel like down, but yeah, you're right. I I think uh, I think it's starting to get a little like we're we're spinning tires in the dirt a little bit. With Call Infinity, that's what it's called. Ah yes, yep, that is it. I love that game. Yeah, it's a great game. But yeah, I think we're like starting to like spin our tires in the mud a little bit when it comes to talking about like the games and stuff because pretty soon we're just gonna be running out of games on the N64 because the libraries <laughs> are so different. There's like what small like 200 it's 300 smaller yeah like 300 or something on the n64 there's like not... 40 worth talking about yeah and like, like there's like 1100 on the playstation and like you could probably fill a list of like 250 playstation games that are probably that's part of the like reason why i started about. collecting for the n64 is because the library was so small i was like oh i could actually complete this collection yeah and you were kind of getting close you were just missing like clay fighter <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I wasn't ever getting that. Yeah, the uncut one. Yeah, not. Oh, man. I mean, I honestly, it is now. it's probably worth more, a lot more now than what it was at the time that you needed it. I'm looking it up now. Oh, I want to know how much this cost. All right, you find that price, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with some kind of final thoughts. Actually, I guess while you're looking for it, I'll I'll do my little Ooh, piece. Fifteen hundred bucks on yeah, eBay. There you go. What? It was like two hundred, three hundred back in the day when we were collecting. You remember that? <laughs> we thought that was. I that. remember it being five hundred. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah. Kanoa was like a two hundred dollar game, and now it's seven. So times are different, man. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. Why is everything so much uh, more expensive? I think overall, like when a lot of people, when you get to the year about like 2001, a lot of people recognize that the PlayStation kind of won out uh, in like most aspects, even though the Nintendo 64 obviously has a great array of games, especially their exclusives with Rare and um, just first party stuff with Rare and Nintendo. But then like, you know, just the third party support on the PlayStation is up like pushing them over the edge and especially later on down the line when... Nintendo was ready to start working on the GameCube, so the you know development team wasn't really working on a whole lot of first-party titles. You get this drought where it's just completely PlayStation dominated, and that kind of led the into... N64 experienced like game droughts a lot, where they would go like months without a um, like a first or second-party game, which is like what's basically carrying the system at this point. Yeah, exactly. And what little third party support it did have, it was, you know, not that good. Like, what's like the best third party game on the N64? That's not rare. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really consider rare like third party. It's more like second party because it was exclusively on like Nintendo at the time before it was bought out. Jeez, maybe there's probably a game by Konami that was good. At the time, <laughs> I mean, like Goemon, like that's yeah, pretty good. Something. I mean, like I guess Resident Evil Two, that's also pretty good. Harvest Moon sixty four, I guess. 
yeah, I mean, there's a Harvest Moon game on the PlayStation that's also very good, too. That's what I mean, is there's always, like, two versions, you know, where it's like, if N64 is getting a good version of a third-party game, it's probably coming to the PlayStation, too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, do you have any For final... sure, all the games I just mentioned have PlayStation counterparts. Exactly. Do you have any final any final thoughts outside of that? Um, no. <laughs> all right. Well, I know it was a short one this time around, but like I said, I think once in a while we'll do a bit of a shorter shorter podcast for when we're kind of revving up for a, a larger episode. Um, I suppose I'll reveal it now next week, hopefully, as long as we can actually finish the game because it's extremely long. We'll be covering Final Fantasy IX in all of its... Uh, in all of its glory <laughs> yeah it's a really excellent game and I hope we can do it justice in the next part so uh, thank everybody for listening to us today and I hope you check us out next time <laughs>